All right, Numbers 22, 23 through 35, the donkey, the Bible says, uh, lessons from a donkey, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. The angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and so Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? <laughs> it's just amusing to me that he's having a conversation with a donkey, and it doesn't cross his mind, you know? And the donkey's actually the more reasonable one. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. He bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, not the donkey, but to Balaam, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me, turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. Now, just in case, I, I'm hoping most everybody here knows the story, but just in case that you don't know the story, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. Um, they'd been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Finally came time for them to go into the promised land. In order to go into the promised land, they had to pass through a couple of different places. The Lord said, you're not going in here, you're not going in here. They're finally camping across from a kingdom called the kingdom of Moab. And the king of Moab was distressed because he had seen and heard about the Israelites and what had been happening during all this time. And now here's this great company of people. We're not talking about 100,000 people. I mean, that's a lot of people. We're talking about millions of people on the border of his country, and uh, kind of reminds you what's going on right now down at the southern border, doesn't it, you know? And he's worried about it, unlike our government. He's worried about it. And in a desperate attempt to deal with the impending threat, he turned to what he knew to do. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a follower of God. He did what he knew, and he went and he hired somebody to help him deal with the situation. So he sent for a man named Balaam, who was a prophet. We use that word prophet in parentheses because when we hear prophet, we think that they're all God's prophets. They're not. But this guy was a prophet. What does that mean? He was a seer. He could, he could hear. He could see. How he access uh, that, that realm is always going to be the point of contention when he comes to studying Balaam. But anyway, the Bible calls him a prophet. He was a prophet for hire. And the reason that Balaam sent for him was that he wanted him to come and curse the people, the Israelites, that he might then defeat them. It's in this story that we find the account of a donkey who was supernaturally used of God to talk to or to communicate or to take care of Balaam, um, uh, uh, to relate to Balaam what he was doing for the one who was in his charge. So, in other words, 
what I meant by that is that is that God is using this donkey supernaturally to take care of the person that the donkey has responsibility for. Wait, it's a donkey. Yeah, but the donkey has responsibility for its rider. Right? So what we want to look at in this story today and see if we can't learn something from us that might benefit us as a people is we want to look at the interactions uh, uh, that the donkey had with Balaam, but I also want to learn and, and see how the donkey reacted to the presence of the Lord, how he reacted by what he did with Balaam, and see if we can't learn something from the donkey's behaviors. So, now, there's nothing really uh, educationally stimulating about this message. So, don't don't get, get when I when I give you some of these points, don't laugh. But it's just I'm just trying to relate some information, okay? First thing, what is a donkey? All right. Now, a donkey is a domesticated hoofed mammal uh, that comes from the same family as the horse. It derives from the African wild ass uh, called Equus africanus, and may be classified either as a subspecies thereof. Equus africanus, a sinus, or a separate species, Equus sinus. Now, you need to write that down because we're going to have a test on this. <laughs> if you were taking a class and that was your first day in class, you'd be like, I need to drop and get another class. Donkeys are not like horses. They differ physically mentally and emotionally. Donkeys are more stoical in their behavior and they tend to startle less than horses. Compared to horses, donkeys show limited fear response to novel situations and this can often be mistaken for stubbornness rather than fear. Webster's defines a donkey in two ways. One, it's a domesticated hoof animal of the horse family with long ears and a brain called, used as a beast of burden, what, we, what many people used to call an ass. Second thing is, a donkey is a, defined as a, can be defined as a stupid or foolish person. I want to use the second definition as a launching pad for what I want to talk about. But I don't, want to use, I don't want to talk about so much that a donkey is the representation of a stupid or foolish person, but I want to use a donkey as a representation in this passage for a person. And I want to, I want to give you biblical um, uh, grounds for being able to do that. The Bible itself likens animals that are described within its pages as representative of types of people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, 13 through 12, uh, 3 through 12, Paul, 9 through 12, Paul says, It is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. I, I, there it is. Uh, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it for our sakes? Paul says, he says it for our sakes. No doubt this is written that he who plows, so it's not about oxen, it's about people. He who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. So if we have sown spiritual things, is a great thing if we reap you material things. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So here Paul is using an ox to teach about his rights 
as an impossible, which we, if we were talking about this today, then you would recognize that it's rights that he didn't take advantage of. Okay? So, seeing then that the Bible legitimizes that we can glean truths from an ox, surely we can learn from the donkey as well. This means yes, this means no, and this means had too much beef tips or carne guisada. Whatever, has been, whatever uh, ethnicity you're from, it's one or the other. So, what then are the descriptions of what donkeys do and what can we glean from them? This is not a, a totally comprehensive teaching on donkeys. I just pulled out three scriptures that can help us for tonight. So, in Genesis 49, 14 through 15, it says, Issachar is a strong donkey. Now, you might think to yourself, man, that guy's ugly. No, it's about type, type. It's a metaphor. It's an analogy. Issachar, which is a tribe, uh, is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that the rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden. I want you to concentrate on that, to bear a burden, and uh, became a band of slaves. Second Samuel 16 and 2 says, and the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? And he had a bunch of uh, donkeys there. And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. Um, the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. So one more scripture, Second Chronicles 28, 15. The men who were designated by name rose up, took the captives, and from the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them, gave them sandals, gave them food and drink, anointed them, and they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. And so they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees, and they returned to Samaria. So what we see in these limited texts is that donkeys are animals that are used to bear burdens, to bear loads, to carry uh, uh, people of nobility, right? Didn't we see that? And to carry those who are weak. Let's keep that in mind as we move forward in our study because it's going to be real important for what I want to bring out. So in our text, Balaam's donkey is commended for preserving the life of his charge, of his responsibility. Whenever he saw a danger that his charge did not, he took it upon himself to protect and to intervene. How much more we as prophetic people or prophetic intercessors should we intervene when we see danger or we see something ahead, we should act to preserve and protect whom we have been given responsibility over. Did you see what I did there? I liken the, don I liken the donkey to a prophetic role, right? He said, well, I'm not a prophet. I didn't say hey, to a prophet, although this will apply to prophets as well, but to prophetic people. I'm not a prophet, but I have a prophetic anointing. I, I flow prophetically, and so some of that is in me, so this applies to me as well as to you, right? In Numbers 22, 4 and 8, just kind of give you a little backdrop. Uh, Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites. He sent messengers to Balaam, 
Um, and he said, look, a people has come. We've kind of gone through this, but there's something I want you to see. Verse 6, please come at once and curse this people, for they're too mighty for me. Perhaps I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hands, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. And so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. From this passage, we see that Balaam was a very important and powerful prophetic person who was sent for by a king to bring resolution to a problem that he was having. Now, what you need to understand is this is not the first time that he sent uh, uh, people to go get Balaam. He sent them the first time, and God said, no, do not go with him. So he sent more people and more money, and this time Balaam, he already knew what the will of God was, but he saw the more people and he saw the more money, and he said, well, let me check with God one more time. And it's amazing, if you, talk, if you pray enough, God will let you do what you want. But it doesn't mean he approves it. It just means he'll let you go. And he let Balaam go. Balaam thought that meant God had approved him for what he wanted, him to, what he wanted to do, which is to get the money. But God didn't approve him for that. But God knew what was in his heart. And so God was going to prevent him from doing something that would harm his people. But anyway, so prophets, which is what Balaam is called, are the eyes and ears of the people. And in a Christian context or in the biblical context, prophets are the eyes and ears of the people whom are given to the people to reveal to them the will of God and the ways of God and, and what God's purposes is for their life. Some people say they're foretellers, but they're also forth-tellers. What is the will of God? Back in the Old Testament times in particular, where everybody did not have the Spirit of God in their life, the Spirit of God would come upon people according to the role that God had called them to or the necessity that was there, and God would put His Spirit upon prophets, and prophets would reveal to the people the Word of God, the will of God, the ways of God right? And so people were very dependent upon the prophetic voice and what the prophetic voice was saying. And the prophetic voice carried a lot of power. Not only did it carry prophetic insight, but it carried a lot of weight, a lot of power, a lot of influence, not just natural, but spiritual. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So unfortunately, prophets could be and were often sidetracked and derailed from their divine purpose. And instead of being an instrument to bear the burdens of the people, to aid the nobility, because many times the prophets were the ones that were counselors to kings and rulers, and to bear the burdens of the weak, they laid aside their divine purpose for self-promotion and monetary gain. What happened in our text? Balaam, a prophetic person, was so overwhelmed with the prospect of reward that he was unwilling to, buy, to abide by the Lord's command to say only what God was saying. He was on a fool's journey and his donkey would be the one to rescue him from a fatal mistake. Now, what's interesting to me, and I'm going to have this in there, is the donkey was more prophetic than the prophet. The donkey was playing a better prophetic role than the prophet was doing. 
How did the donkey do so? Well, it brings us to our third point. So I didn't give you the second point. What was the second point? Uh, what is a donkey? Who does the donkey represent? We looked at that. Third point, what did the donkey do? Numbers 22. Sometimes my wife tells my daughter, Rachel, what did the donkey do? And I think she was talking about me. <laughs> anyway. She says I talk about her all the time. Well, this time I'll talk about myself. So, Numbers 22, 23 to 35. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with a staff. We saw that, right? So, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said, and, and the donkey said to Balaam, What have I done to you? Balaam said, You have abused me. I wish I could kill you. Am I not your donkey? And then in verse 31, the Lord opened his eyes, saw the angel of the Lord. Verse 32, the angel of the Lord said, Why have you struck your donkey? Behold, I've come out to stand against you. The donkey donkey saw me. The prophet did not see the Lord. The donkey saw the Lord. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. And so the donkey could have kept on going knowing that he would have been okay. I don't think the donkey was interested in preserving its own life. I think the donkey was interested in preserving the life of the person that he had the charge of. He wasn't looking out for, she wasn't looking out for herself. The donkey was looking out for him. As we've already stated, that donkeys are animals that are used to bear loads, to carry nobility, and to carry those who are weak. In our text, Balaam's donkey is commended for preserving the life of his responsibility, of his charge, when he saw danger and took it upon herself to intervene. The donkey acted to preserve the life of the person that she was responsible for to protect him from what she saw ahead that the writer was not yet aware of. Isn't that the role of a prophetic person or a prophetic intercessor? When they see something ahead, not to aggrandize themselves, by saying, look what I saw, this is what's going to happen, woe, woe to you. They can reveal what's ahead, but the character of the prophet needs to be like this donkey. And by the way, should I say this, the donkey was what Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem. It's what best displayed the the character of the king who had come to visit his people. And in this text, we see that the donkey is the one that best portrays the character of the king who created us. And the donkey wasn't concerned about, hey, look what I saw, because he couldn't talk. It seems like today, the prophets of today, they can't stop talking. I ain't talking about the Lord. They're just talking about their ministries and themselves and all that kind of stuff, you know, instead of talking about the Lord. And, and it's okay to talk about what God is doing. Paul says, I won't talk about anything except what God has done through me, that he might get glory. It's okay to talk about that. 
But so often we get and we come short. And I, I want to tell you something. I, I, I was walking around today, and you think that I'm, 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 I'm not pointing the finger at myself. I was walking around my neighborhood. I felt like the Lord asked me to walk around the neighborhood. And when I got around uh, uh, close to where Olin, that new, that new uh, place that Olin rented or bought, and they have cubicles in there, offices in there anyway, I began to realize as I look back over my life how often I try to make things happen. Boy, I said, man, I, Jacob ain't got nothing on me. I wasn't trying to do bad things. I was trying to do good things. I thought I was trying to do the Lord's things, but I was trying to make it happen. And I was sitting there, I said, Lord, forgive me. I tried to make my ministry happen. I tried to make my desires for God happen. I, and why did I do that? Because I couldn't trust him. Bottom line, if I don't make it happen, I don't trust God to make it happen. And so what ends up happening? We, we, we move into self-promotion, self uh, aggrandizement, trying to make things happen, trying to convince people that God is with us, and this is what we're going to do, and that's when you fail miserably. You can succeed in the eyes of people, but you'll fail in the eyes of God. When God reveals something to us as a people, we should have the heart of this donkey, at least, that, wow, how many people have prophesied that California is going to fall into the ocean? And they sit back and say, thus saith the Lord, let's watch it happen. Instead of saying, no, God. No, God. Don't let that happen. Do we not read in the Bible how often prophets cried out when they heard what God was going to do and they said no? And how often God said, okay, because you asked me, I won't do it. Isn't that the heartbeat of God? It's okay. It's okay to get revelation. We need revelation. We want revelation. We want to hear what's about to happen. But then we've got to have God's heart to flow with the revelation for the protection, for the stewardship, for the safety of people. Now, I'm talking to Wednesday night crowd. I'm not talking to the lost. I'm talking to Wednesday night crowd, people that know the Lord, right? Isn't that what Jonah got chastised for? Did he have right revelation? Yeah. What happened? When he declared the revelation, the people repented, and he was mad because then people wouldn't know he was a prophet now. Plus, he didn't like the people, and he wanted them to die. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. And God went to work on Jonah. A lot of us think that Jonah is a model prophet, but Jonah is a prophet in the making. He's a prophet, but we're all in the making. We're all in progress. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord and did very wonderful things for God, but Elijah was also a prophet in the making. He wasn't perfect. We want to model our ministries around imperfect people. The only one that was perfect was God. If we're going to model someone, we need to model him. And he was a prophet. But he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man didn't come to 
condemn the world, but he came to save the world. And that's what we need to be. So when the Lord shows us something, it's kind of like I'm showing you as a steward over the sphere that I've given to you, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to go to bat for the people? No, God, I want you to get glory, and you're going to get glory when they see how strong and how powerful and you strike them dead. Is he going to get glory for that? If he could, he could have done that a long time ago. What's the heartbeat of God that people would turn from their wicked ways and live? Am I making sense to you? How much more we as prophetic people, as prophetic intercessors, should we intervene when we see danger and act to preserve and protect those whom we have been given responsibility for? But if you don't belong to a group of people, you don't have responsibility for anybody, do you? You don't have to care for anybody because you're a lone ranger sitting out there. I'm not talking about anybody here because we're all in Wednesday night church. We're just giving you instructions so you can go talk to other people. (laughs) Not us. Like the donkey is prophetic intercessors. By the way, in my mind, biblically, all prophets are called to be intercessors. But that's a topic for another day. We are called to carry the burdens of the Lord, to carry those of nobility. And, and the Lord looks as all of us as children of the king. Some of us are wayward. Some of us have been welcomed back home. But we're all made in the image and the likeness of God. Calling them to carry those of nobility to their God-ordained destination or destiny. And to carry along those who are weak as we help to strengthen them, to edify them, and to build them up. Hebrews 12, 12 through 14 says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. What initially got me to think about this was the unfortunate reality that oftentimes donkeys, considered by many to be a symbol of a foolish and stupid person, oftentimes have more sense than those who are walking around calling themselves prophets. And I'm not picking on anybody. I have nobody in mind, nobody at all, because I know that anybody can be called a false prophet. Anybody, that's, that is not what we're about. I'm talking to me, I'm talking to us, I'm talking to us as a prophetic community. God is going to be more and more revealing things to us, and we need to understand that revelation has to come through a heart of love. You say, what do you mean? Well, you have the gifts of the Spirit. Aren't they revelation from God? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and couched between the two chapters, 12 and 14, Paul says, uh, what good is it if you have a prophetic gift Right? Um, let me actually read that, 1 Corinthians 13. Where is 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, this will really help you. You find it every time, right before 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Page, yes, 17, 37. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, here's what Paul says, by the Spirit of God, I 
am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not, and here's the key for me, does not seek its own. But I love the way this says it. It does not insist on its own way. It is about the other. Not the detriment of the other, but the benefit of the other. Out of love, doing things for someone else. That's what love does. Self-love promotes self. Godly love promotes the other. I'm looking out for your welfare. Why? Because I love you. Well, how can you love me? You don't know me. The one who knows me loved me, and in his love, he gave me a love for you. I'm not necessarily talking about myself, but I'll go ahead and put that in there anyway. I'm saying as Christians, when we experience the love of God, who he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He went down that we might go up, right? That's love. Greater love has no man than this, than that he lay, that he laid down his life for his friends. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is the heartbeat of God. It's love. It's really that simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors or so. Oh, no, it's the power of God. It's all, yes, it's that. But what is the power of God given to you for? Most of the gifts are for the benefit of someone else. That's why they don't work unless you love. If you have a gift of healing and you're moved with compassion and love, you want to pray for somebody. If you're not moved with compassion and love, you'll still pray for them, but you might charge them a fee. Or you might require something from them. It ain't free, even though it was given you for free. Not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the whole. Many of a prophetic community, prophetic people today are acting more like Balaam than the truer prophetic picture of a prophet, which is the donkey. Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 2 Peter 2, 1, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Well, how, do, how can I tell a false prophet? You, listen, you can be a wrong prophet and not be a false prophet. False prophets are about themselves, and they will abuse people to benefit themselves. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A true prophet will lay down his life for the people that he has been given charge of. Now, there is right doctrine. All that is important. But I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about the heart. How can you tell the difference between a, a wolf in sheep's clothing and a sheep? A sheep's not out to eat you. A wolf is out to eat you, to devour you, to take from you, to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come that we may have 
life and life more abundantly. The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. So what do true prophetic people, true shepherds, what do they do? They give their lives that others might experience the love, the joy, the, the bounty of God. Second Peter two fourteen and nine through nineteen. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 4, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. He said, well, what does this have to do? A lot of people today are compromising the word because they want something from you. They want your adulation. They want your attendance. They want your resources. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we compromise the word to get that we cannot compromise the word if I love you I will tell you the truth if I love you if you're a parent and you say you love your children but you don't discipline them you lie it's a false understanding of love we're not called to be their friends we're called to be their parents and a good parent loves their child enough to know that it needs to be corrected from time to time. True shepherds, true prophets, true event, they, they, they will preach the word even at the risk of losing someone. Because what you need more than anything is not a place where you can feel good, you need to know what it is necessary in order to be able to live the life that Jesus paid for us to live. I need to know when I'm living wrong. I have the capacity, I always have the capacity to be deceived. And the nature of deception is I don't know that I'm deceived. So how do I know? How does God, uh, the Word of God. But if I compromise the Word, I can let you continue in your deception. So I have to preach the truth. Now, I used to love, this is my own personal opinion, I was a little skewed some at one point. I always preached the truth, but unfortunately I kind of read the scripture this way. And he loved to preach the truth. That's not what it says. God had to get a hold of me. It says preach the truth in love. We always preach the truth, but the heart behind it is love. We can beat somebody with the word. You know, you can, if this thing was a hard cover, you could, you could kill somebody with a Bible. And unfortunately, I think spiritually we can do that. But that's not what we're called to do. What we're called to do is to feed them the Word of God, the truth of God, that will define for them what is right and wrong and help them to get to a place where they can see truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. And in seeing truth, understand the revelation of God is that, that he made a way for us to be able to come back home. 
Because we were created, all of us were created in the image and the likeness of God. If you believe you were created from a, from a gorilla, I'd hate to see you go home. What do your parents look like? <laughs> if, your, if your relatives were finger monkeys... What would your relatives, what, what do you think your family portrait is going to look like? You come from that. Well, that's what science teaches me. Well, the Word of God teaches me different. The Word of God teaches me that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I was created in the image and the likeness of God. Well, you don't act like that while I'm having to learn how to walk in, uh, the Bible says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've been called. First of all, I got to know what I am, who I am, and what I've been called, so that I can seek to walk in a manner worthy of it. And I can't do it on my own. I can't do it in my own strength. It's only by the grace of God. And when I'm erring, I need to know that I'm erring. I need to know the truth, right? Uh, you want me to touch on one particular topic going on today? You know, people say, "Well, uh, I was born. Uh, 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 my my birth certificate says I'm a man, but I don't feel like I'm a man. Therefore, I'm not." Well, the Bible teaches differently. The Bible says he created a male and female. Well, you're offending me. I'm not offending you. The Word of God is offending you. I just choose to believe what the Word of God says. You choose to believe what you feel. Can I believe what the Word of God says? Well, I, I feel it so strongly. It is what it is. And I said, well, what about people that have an inclination to murder? Do we say to them, well, you must be a murderer? Or do we say to them, you need to curb those feelings. You need, to, you need to put yourself in a position where you don't act on those things. And people that are feeling inclinations to become something other than what they are, wouldn't, shouldn't we tell them the same thing? No, no, let's just let them have their way. Let's let them do what they want. That's fine. The world can do what it wants. But we cannot allow that to be compromised in the church. Everyone is welcome in the church, but not everything is welcome in the church. All sinners are welcome to come to church, but the goal of coming to God is to, uh, 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 to loose you from your sin, not to accommodate your sin, not to allow you to be deceived into thinking that what you think is a normal human feeling or emotion is anything other than the lie from the enemy which he is using to lead you down a path that will ultimately lead you in a, in a, to a place that will, will forever in all eternity keep you away from God and leave you in eternal judgment. And God loved you enough to die so you wouldn't have to. But how can I know any differently if the church of God is unwilling to preach the truth? If we as a people are unwilling to be offended, well, if I say that, people aren't going to like me. They probably don't like you anyway. Probably has nothing to do with God. <laughs> <laughs> has to do with your parents, the monkeys. No. <laughs> Can we cut this out a little bit later on? Because yeah, I don't think this is a wise thing to put out there on the internet. I'm getting in trouble tonight. My parents are donkeys. <laughs> I have a prophetic heritage, the donkey family. 
<laughs> Your nose growing, Bobby. All right, praise the Lord. Uh, let's see, did I finish? In conclusion, in no way am I saying that this is a complete picture of all that there is to a prophetic people or prophetic office or prophetic role or prophetic anointing. I did not intend that at all tonight. I just wanted to touch on what the Lord was showing me. I didn't even really have any agenda. Just the Lord dropped this in my heart today, and I said, well, I'll write something. I thought that's pretty cool. I didn't know where it was going, but that's what I wrote. What I'm saying is that we can learn some lessons from this donkey that can help us to walk out that which God has called us to be. We whom are tasked with the prophetic grace of seeing and hearing and also in intercession are to help carry the burdens of the children of God, strengthen those who are weak, and protect the lives of those whom we are responsible for by taking what we see and hear and bringing God's heart to save, not to condemn, to those within our charge, even at the risk of our own safety and reputation. Nobody knew that Jonah was the prophet who had the word from the Lord because everybody repented, but that's okay. What was important is that 20,000 people whom God loved and cared for that couldn't, didn't know their right hand from the left. And he's talking about young children, babies, but he cared about the adults as well, weren't going to perish because someone went and preached to them and taught them the word of God. Mm-hmm.